welcome to The Watcher's Diaries, a weekly podcast all about Buffy. I'm Mary. And I'm Froggy. And this week we're talking about season two, episode 21, Becoming Part One. And we're once again joined by Jackie. Yes! It's nice to be here. There's no way we can talk about this episode without her. Yeah, I feel like this is going to be the new thing. We at least get Jackie on for the season finales. Yes. I do love a good season finale. Yeah. And we have many of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is a huge episode. There is a ton to talk about. My notes are extra long this week. But (sighs) before we get into all that... So we are recording this the week that a certain person decided it was a good idea to open his mouth and double down. So uh, we're going to have to talk about that because we as a people apparently cannot have nice things. Nope. So as we said on social media earlier uh, the week that we recorded this, we as a podcast stand with the victims of the creator and recognize that the creator is a gigantic douchebag and an abuser. We also recognize that sometimes crappy people make good art. And that Buffy in the Buffyverse is so much larger than him. It's... Sarah and Allison and Nikki, Charisma and David, James and Juliet, Marty, Jane. And we're not going to stop celebrating those people, celebrating their accomplishments, celebrating this show because of one insignificant asshole, or if we want to use Cordelia's phrasing, an impotent little Nazi with a bug up his butt <laughs> the size of an email. So yeah, Buffy rules and the creator sucks. And yeah. that's pretty much where we are. He should have never, he should have just not done the interview. Oh my God. It, just, no. it, made, it, it made it worse. It made things worse. I I don't know. I I don't know. We and we talked we had talked about this all off air, but I don't know who thought this was a good idea. Somebody should have stepped in and said to just shut up. <laughs> just like, seriously. Uh, like it, it's just I and and I when as soon as this this article came out, I am literally sitting at my desk at work looking at my looking at Twitter. I'm like, "Oh my god." this is going to be fun. Uh, and I, I immediately, I immediately messaged Mary, like <laughs> we just, we, we, what is going on? And the thing is, it's like, we, we constantly discuss how, how awful he is and how much, in, you know, how important the show is and how important the people who made this show is. If he would just shut the fuck up, enjoy his money, <laughs> enjoy his Malibu compound, Doing whatever, like, just just go away and let everybody enjoy this. And it's like, and I, I feel like every six months he has to open his mouth again and we have to hear from him. I, I think part of the problem, too, is whenever he opens his mouth, it's not to say, because he was a really young showrunner, it's not to mm-hmm. say, I'm sorry, I was young, I learned better now, I apologize to all yeah. the people I've hurt. Well, actually, I take that all back because the shit he did to Ray Fisher and Gal Gadot, he should have known better. because he was. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. that's, yeah, yes. yeah, that's, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just apologize. If you're not opening your mouth to say, uh, like, I'm sorry for treating these people poorly, then... Why? Like, why? Why? And the whole thing, the whole thing was just him doubling down and being like, I am a creative person and people don't understand me. And it's everyone else. Like, it's just, oh, it's so exhausting. Mm-hmm. It's just exhausting. But we are here to talk about the good stuff. And unfortunately, though, these episodes were written by the creator. Yes. Yes, they were. So... 
Well, there I do have like these are really wonderful episodes, but I do have some issues with now that I'm older and looking back at it, I'm like there are left off threads that I would have liked to have seen picked up in Angel. Oh yeah, we've yeah we've is we've, one of them Whistler. Yes, yes, yes. yes. You yes. bring in this demon without any explanation. He has an incredibly like huge shaping of Angel, and then you're just like bye. He never exists again. I loved Whistler. And Whistler was such a cool character. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've 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 talked we've talked about it before about how there's so many threads that they could have followed. Like, I still want a spin-off about the government <laughs> invisible person program. <laughs> like I like I would have loved, I would have loved more shady government people in suits popping up randomly through the series. Like, I would have just liked one episode a season with these government people taking teenagers away. Like, it just... Like, there's different... Like, I get the feeling that there's different programs for these different supernatural creatures. And the reason that we're mad is they do pick up on other threads. So they will, like... The series is incredibly self-referential. So they reference all kinds of things mm-hmm. and that have come in the past. They bring back they bring back uh, guest actors sometimes that mm-hmm. they've had in the past. And it's like, you would think with The Whistler, which is like a huge influence on Angel's life, that this would show up in the series of Angel. No, it just no. doesn't. No. I mean, Whistler. granted, I stopped watching Angel after, um, after Charisma Carpenter left. Yeah. But, but still, I, I mean... I, for Mary, who has watched the whole thing, he doesn't come back after that, does he? No, no, he doesn't. No, Whistler never, Whistler never, never comes back. No, there's. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about Whistler. We're gonna talk about Angel because I think in this episode it is the most blatantly obvious. As good as this episode is, as much as I love this episode and Becoming Part 2, they had no fucking clue what they were doing with Angel. Yeah. And it's blatantly obvious in what they set up in this, like, and I know that they changed the season two direction because they decided not to kill Spike, but like, you could kind of see how- At this point, he's already, they're already thinking of making an Angel series. It's yes, like, you would yes. think you would have yeah. fleshed that out. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they knew, like, I, they, they knew, they knew midway through the season that they wanted to- that they, they had have. they had hints of it and then yeah. um as well by the time you guys hear this you'll hear that as we say in i only have eyes for you that was the episode that cemented yep. to yep. the team that david could carry a show yeah and he did and again i've said before yeah. so many times once he gets his own show angel really grows and he is a much better character yeah, and we're going to talk about that some more with this yeah. too, because this is like I said, this is just whew, There's so much to talk about, so let's let's get into it instead of just being all over the place. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, becoming part one. It aired May twelfth, nineteen ninety eight. And our synopsis is part one of two. Angel and Buffy's past are shown in flashbacks, while Kendra returns to help restore Angel's soul and stop Drew from completing her most devilish deed. Does Kendra return to help restore Angel's soul? I'm not no, sure that's Kendra correct. does not. No, no, Kendra does not return with that intention. <laughs> Apparently that's what we think is that's not what's happening. No, 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 definitely not. 
So what are international titles this week? This week in Armenian, we have Transformation Part 1. Czech is also Transformation Part 1. Finnish, Keys to the Future Part 1. Ooh. French, Akathla Part (laughs) 1. I mean, you know. German, Turning Points. Okay. Hungarian, Becoming Worthy Part 1. Italian, the beginning of the story, first part. <laughs> I mean, it's this not wrong. really the yeah. end of the story, I think. Japanese, transformation, part one. Polish, Buffy identity. <laughs> I Yeah. Portuguese, metamorphosis. Oh. And then oh, Spanish from Latin America is reborn. And Spanish from Spain is the transformation. Oh, I like it. I think Keys to the Future is my favorite. I like yeah. that. Yeah. I like that. So, of course, we start off with a previously on all about Angel and the curse. What I find particularly interesting about this previously on is that it includes the image of the disc, not once, but twice. Well, yes. So it, it's very much <laughs> a like, hey, look at this thing. It's going to be important. Remember this thing that was 10 episodes ago? I swore they found that before this episode. Like, I I like swore it was like a thing where they just found and they didn't look. I don't know. There's also like, because the end of, because we're about to do the beginning of this episode, so I'll say this. The end of this episode is so iconic mm-hmm. that I thought it was at the beginning of this episode and then you go back to it. Yes. At the end. Yeah. I forgot yeah. you don't start the episode with her running. Yes. Yeah. Because I- that image is just so iconic yeah i thought that would have been a really cool way of starting the episode out right because it's it's a great especially because like they have so there's so many flashbacks yeah but like no i like this episode started and i was confused because i i I would have sworn that was how it started but where it does start is ireland (laughs) Galway to be exact night i'm sorry not 19 1753 and as we see a cobblestone street, we hear noises coming from a pub down the road. We're treated to a voiceover by Whistler, telling us about the moments in our life that make us, that set the course of who we're going to be. Sometimes they're little, subtle moments, and sometimes they're not. There's more to this voiceover, obviously, and, and we'll talk about that. But these opening lines are fantastic. I love I love Whistler's whole, whole speech. This is why, I mean, this is why he should have been back in Angel. It's like, yeah, it's like he's set up as this kind of, I mean, I mean, Buffy says in the next episode that like, what are you sent here to do? Even the score between good and evil. I think that's like, and then having him like watch all of the events that are happening. That's a fascinating character to have. You have it in these two episodes where we become really interested in it. And then you just never pick up on the thread. Yeah. No, but these, these lines, they just, they set up this whole episode and and this Mm -hmm. episode absolutely titled Becoming is all about how we get to the moment we're in right now. Yep. So his saying that here are the moments that make you as we're watching the moments that make these characters and just, oh, it's so good. And it sucks because as we said, it was written by the creator and he did, but good, bad people make good art. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, especially, especially for our main characters, this episode sort of cements their characters going forward, the role Mm -hmm. of these characters going forward. So you have like Willow doing the dabbling in the mystic arts um, and you have Buffy doing the right thing, no matter what the cost is to her. And also, and and also this, the, the, these two parts, 
you also, Joyce finds out. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is where Joyce finally finds out that her daughter has this big secret. And this is, again, it's, this is something that I actually thought happened later. Like, everything just jumbles yeah. jumbles together at this point. But yeah, and this, this is, is where we see that Spike is not really interested. I mean, not this episode, but the next one. It's like we learn that Spike doesn't, I mean, he's just all about love. He doesn't really care if the world ends. Oh, yeah. Not. Well, yeah. and we'll get to that when we get to the part with him and Drusilla where he's been pacing. Yeah. There was... Uh, more to that conversation that was cut here where it becomes very clear that Spike does not want to drag the world into hell. Yeah. And he's like, "Uh, Drew, do we really want to do this? So like they they definitely set up what he does in part two in this episode. But I think probably because they wanted to keep what happens in part two, like a kind of moment, they cut that exchange. So you wouldn't like, you know, he's pissed at Angel, but you wouldn't have that glimpse of to like, oh, maybe he's going to do something. Yeah. And he's he's always like Spike always strikes me as the cheesy over the top villain. Like he doesn't he (laughs) He doesn't want to extra. He is the most extra. He does doesn't want to destroy everything he just wants to destroy the immediate area he's he's a brawler he's here to have a good time but he's also i mean we i I, the episodes are a little bit jumbling together in my mind but it's he um you know there's a point where angel's like well when did you become the smart one and uh, it's, I, I think I've said this before, where Angelus is a doofus. He's just, <laughs> does not it think is. about anything. He's a complete moron. And Spike's like, do, Spike's like thinking three steps ahead, thinking like, what, like, what happens to us if this whole world goes to hell? Is this actually going to be fun for us? And that's why I like the, the difference between Angelus and Spike, like, in especially when when Angelus when Angel loses his soul, you really do find out more of how much of a doofus he is because he comes across as this serious, brooding, you know, this character. But you just find out that he's so dumb. Apparently, apparently, when you lose your soul, you lose part of your brain. <laughs> but yeah. we find Liam didn't have much of it to begin with anyway. So that's <laughs> speaking of Liam. Yeah, speaking of Liam, the voiceover ends and we see Angel, or as he was called during his mortal life, Liam, being thrown out of the pub along with one of his friends. They're both plastered, and his poor little buddy is so (laughs) plastered that he passes out right there on the street, unable to go any further. For Liam, however, the night is young. He spots Darla standing a few feet off alone. He heads in her direction, following her into an alley, an alley that makes him wonder what a lady of her stature is doing all alone back there. Okay, I think part of my annoyance with this is like, what is a lady of her stature doing in Galway, which is like, it's a small town in Ireland. Um, As far as I recall, they didn't have like fancy British royalty. So it would be more like, (laughs) what are you doing here at all? Yeah, what are you doing in Galway? Yeah, like you, you, she would expect her to find her more in like Dublin or something. Not exactly. But you know what? But you know what? Again, it works for Liam. It does. Yeah, it does. does. He's just like, I'm not going to question this. He's like, it's a pretty lady. It's a pretty lady. And again, remember. Who also has an American accent, which again, Liam doesn't question. Why is a person (laughs) with an American accent with a fancy dress here in Galway? (laughs) 
Well, I she am says a little, she's from everywhere. I am a little annoyed though. I think I I think they should have. I think uh, Julie Benz should have. I mean, um, David Boreanaz's Irish accent isn't the best. I mean, it's I I applaud him for attempting it <laughs> because I mean that's I mean, the character's Irish. If he didn't even yeah. try it, we'd be annoyed. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I wish Julie Benz would have done like a British accent or something like that because it just I. It just doesn't well, make sense to me. Julie, I can forgive because when we see Darla's past, it's in Jamestown. So she was she was a she was a colonist. So she's Oh, but then how'd she get to Galway? Well, this is long after the master. He came to her in Jamestown. But then so how did she been... get to Galway from a, Jamestown? A boat? It's a really long boat ride for a vampire. Have you watched Interview with a Vampire? They go on boats, Jackie. I don't know. She she travels around with the master. Like he does his thing all over. But like Why are you questioning this, Jackie? <laughs> so like so Julie I can forgive because Darla has clearly been everywhere. She was a colonist. Like, yeah, she should probably have like that tinge of a British accent, but like I can forgive her giving Darla's backstory. All right, I'll let that go. I'm still not letting the weird dress thing go. Where no, it's like, no, we won't let the weird dress thing go. No, we're there. I, we'll, we are there with you. We'll get to my thoughts on the dress in a little bit because I, I do very much appreciate Julie in this dress. It's a bit, I mean, she looks beautiful. It's a very beautiful dress, but I'm just like, you're in a small town in Ireland. <laughs> And Why do you think you're going woman, to a ball? <laughs> yeah, this rich woman just shows up. And I don't think they had those kinds of fancy people in that town. Probably not. <laughs> so the line should have been more like, what What are you doing here in my town? Okay, look at it this way, Jackie. He was drunk and he's dumb. Yes, this is true. That's, that's, you could, you can excuse a lot of things about Liam and Angel as being dumb. Like, he's just, he's not the smartest cookie. She responds that maybe she's lonely. Well, if that's the case, he offers himself as escort, both to protect her from harm and to while away the dull hours. It's very gracious of him, and Darla says as much. But is he sure he's up to the challenge? He tells her that, with the exception of an honest day's work, there's no challenge that he's not prepared to face. Yeah, this guy's a gem. Oh my god. And I mean, I've said it before, if he didn't become a vampire, he would have died of syphilis. Well, Darla almost died of syphilis because she was a prostitute in Jamestown, so... Yeah. He tells her that she's pretty, which, duh, Julie is absolutely stunning in this scene, Mm -hmm. and asks her where she's from. Around. Everywhere. Liam confesses that he's never been anywhere himself, but that he's always wanted to see the world. Darla says she could show him things he's never seen. I can show you the world. Yes, we all thought of that. (laughs) (laughs) Things he's never even heard of. He says it sounds exciting. It is. And a bit frightening. He assures her he's not afraid. He wants her to show him. Show him her world. To which Darla replies, close your eyes. And this, this, because... We all know. We all know. And we'll talk yeah. about it next week. Yeah. Those are the same words Buffy will say to Angel before shoving a sword into him. Yep. So both times he dies, a pretty blonde girl told him to close his eyes. Yep. And it's just, oh, it's it's like we talked about all the way back and when she was bad. And we're going to talk about when she was bad later. The parallels in this show and the parallels, especially in this episode, are just, oh, they, yeah. are, they are on. Yeah. And the thing is, the thing is, too, like, yes, a pretty blonde killed him. But this was like a more of a malicious thing. And the one with Buffy was to save him. So like the, the two different times... That in. I'm not sure what's to save him. Well, to save the world, to save, yeah. you yeah. know, like, but also 
also saving him because he got his soul back and didn't really he did so much damage. He did. And we're, we're going to talk about that. And we know like how guilty Angel is over everything. We're going to talk about that too. <laughs> I have some thoughts on that. But actually, no, but I also, I don't know if I would call Darla killing him malicious. Because she doesn't kill him, she turns him. That's true. So she wants to keep him. So, and I mean, you see Darla, like you see it in the early episodes of season one. You see it when she returns an angel. Darla did love him in her own weird way. Yeah. And I mean, it's weird because of like, we don't, there's no build up to this. It's not like Angelus and Drew where he stalked her and was obsessed mm-hmm. with her. And, it, and it's not even like Drew and Spike where because of her power, she saw something in him. Mm-hmm. Like it is very much a chance. But I mean, again, we don't know if Darla's been watching him because right. all we know is they encountered each other in this alley. We don't know how long Darla's been in Galway at this point. I don't remember if we find out later i do know the siren is extended on at some point in angel yeah i remember i I don't know if we find out more about like if darla was around watching him or if it's that's just the part where he like goes and he kills his family yeah i don't think they i really don't think they touch on how long yeah like if darla was actually watching him but yeah but you know it's a thing but whatever anyway anyway (laughs) moving on he closes his eyes and that's when darla vamps out biting his neck and draining him to just about the point of death then drawing a finger across her chest she directs liam to drink from it one i appreciate the shot of julie's chest in this corset dress i will admit that that was a good shot two we could talk about the imagery of this scene all day because it is the fact that she uses her breast and he drinks from her breast as Mm -hmm. he's being born into this new imagery is on point imagery is on point yeah and let me this was this was a sexy scene this was a sexy scene it was also the first siren we ever saw on camera yeah yeah Mm -hmm. like this this was a very sexy scene for for being a teenager because and especially like not watching a lot of sexy stuff as a teenager like this was this was who yeah Buffy had some pretty sexy scenes I remember mm-hmm. like like not this one so much because I don't think I thought I really thought about it but like definitely like surprise and innocence just yeah. be like please yeah. do not Ooh. let my grandmother walk into the kitchen while yeah. they're like flashing back on the sex scene yeah yeah and then meanwhile meanwhile then uh a few few years later, renting Velvet Goldmine. Oh, I love Velvet <laughs> And hoping that my mom doesn't yes. come in the room while Ewan is jumping up and down with his but penis hanging fair, out. <laughs> if you rent a Ewan McGregor movie, you're like 75% likely to see him naked. Yes. I, I yeah. don't know how Disney Plus is going to keep him, get him to keep all his clothes on for thing, an entire series. I know, we're, I know we're, we're on a tangent here about, always on about a tangent. Ewan, but he even has a quote about how women are always exposed in movies. So he lets himself be exposed to even the playing field. And also to give and also to give women something to look at. We appreciate your commitment to the cause, I mean, Ewan. He is, I mean, thank you, Ewan, for for put literally putting yourself out there yes. for your female audience. Oh, yeah, okay. Yes. How are they gonna keep him like Obi-Wan's gonna have inexplicable nudes? <laughs> They're just gonna give him like 84 cloaks again. So he just like He's like, it's my time to shower now. (laughs) Obi-Wan feels dirty. (laughs) 
Like I could see him sitting in, sitting in like the the reading, the readings. Like, what? Where can we put in a nude scene? Where where well, can we? Fat got to lay in a bacta tank. <laughs> in I want a shower scene in his in his in his bacta underwear. Oh, oh gosh! I love you, and McGregor. I know he's yeah, he's such a delight. Okay, anyway, going on. <laughs> With that, we go to the present. Angela is stalking Buffy throughout a graveyard. He paces, keeping to a group of trees, watching as Buffy fights and dusts three vamps. Right before dusting the last, she says for him to take a message to Angelus, as she was going to let him go until he rushed at her again. She's tired of waiting. She's taking the fight to him. Of course, said vampire doesn't know how to take an exit when given one. So she ends up staking him and saying, well, fine. She'll tell him herself. The vamp's gone. She helps up Xander, telling him that he really doesn't have to patrol with her. He assures her that he had it all under control. <laughs> until that one guy resorted to a fisticuffs. <laughs> So that's what? Five vamps and three nights? Yeah, but no angel. Xander asks if she's really that eager to go up against him. She says she just wants it over with. I'm going to need everyone to remember that line. Mm-hmm. Because I think this line and what happens later in the library. But I think this line is very crucial to the lie that Xander tells in the next episode. Mm-hmm. And so I just want everybody to remember Buffy's like, I, I just want it over. We'll make a note of that. Buffy then says they should go as she hasn't even begun studying for finals yet. Oh, yeah, finals. Xander wants to know why Buffy didn't just let him die. <laughs> she tells him to look on the bright side. It will all be over soon. And Jealous, still watching them, replies, yes, my love, it will. <laughs> oh, God. And with some creepy atmospheric piano music, he's gone. Credits. What I really love about this episode in particular is that that creepy atmospheric piano music seamlessly transitions into mm-hmm. the credits. Yeah. And that, that's, that was just a beautiful moment. We return from the credits to the Sunnydale National History Museum. I assume it's the museum. As we have a woman using some very professional looking tools on a very old rock. <laughs> a rock Joyce is probably upset. She didn't think to <laughs> Joyce is like, why didn't I get to smuggle this? Uh, right? Imagine how much a Catholic would be worth on the black market. You know what? It is pretty heavy. That's true. You That's know, true. she probably she probably did think about it, but it's too heavy. It's too awkward to move. Yeah, she has to smuggle lighter items. Like where math. is she? Where is she gonna hide it? Yeah, where is she gonna hide a Catholic in the house? Uh, this could have all been prevented, though, if Joyce had like upped her black market trade. And I know, I know. I can't wait till we get to Dead Man's Party. <laughs> it's a pretty mess. <laughs> Look at my mask. Isn't it pretty? It reads <laughs> the dead. Americans. <laughs> I'm really tempted to make uh, Hallie suffer through that episode because of that line. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love that episode. And, and especially because he's in his tiny little British car. <laughs> yes. yes. Like extreme Britishness. Oh, there's so, like, it is the most British Anthony gets to be in this ty- entire series. I, I have a small rant about the the um, day player they cast for the, I don't know if he's like, you know, the museum employee. Oh. Oh, contact yeah, Giles. They were like, we want a, like, New York cop type. <laughs> <laughs> In this role. <laughs> I was like, this man does not seem to know anything about museums. <laughs> well, it's Sunnydale. 
maybe the other curator died. <laughs> that is a good point. That is a good point. And then they hired a former NYPD cop who had retired. And they were like, you're good for the job. Come on down. <laughs> He's like, I'm just going to call that weird British dude over at the school because I don't know what's going on. He knows He knows more about this stuff than I do. Yeah. Well, the best part is I don't think he even called Giles because so the curator guy comes in telling the woman who's clinging to concentrate and then Giles arrives and he says that according to one of his colleagues at the Washington Institute, which I think is supposed to be the Smithsonian, mm-hmm. he is one of the foremost experts in the obs- in obscure artifacts. So I think the museum guy called like their version of the Smithsonian, like, I've got this thing, I don't know to what. They were like, oh, well, lucky you. You've got you somebody right there. Right here. He worked at the British Museum. Or a museum. Or a museum. Well, they no, they know because because even Willow says he he pro- they think he worked for the British Museum. And yeah, no, it's he worked for yeah. the British Museum or a British a, Museum. Yeah, yeah. So they like the Smithsonian. Yeah, they know no, who Giles is. Yeah. Well, at least retired police officer knew who to call to get Giles <laughs> yeah. there. Oh, poor retired police officer. <sighs> he leads Giles over to the rock, which we can now see looks a bit like a stone sarcophagus, saying some construction workers dug it out on the outskirts of town. Does he have any idea what it could be? A few, but Giles doesn't want to say more, not until he has a better idea of it all. Have they had it carbon dated? The results will be back in a few days, but for now, the museum guy is going to go out on a limb and say old. <laughs> yeah, see that. <laughs> He's just like, I'm just going to pull stuff out of my ass because I don't know. I don't know why I'm here. I I just thought I would have an easy desk job where I would look over everything. I'm kind of also the security of this place. I wear a lot of hats, (laughs) you know? This is how white, old white men fail up. This man (laughs) seems like he knows nothing about what he's doing and yet is in charge of everything. You know what? It is also Sunnydale. That's true. So you would probably... I'm sure, get- I'm sure the mayor had something to do with that, where he was like, we've got to get the right. most incompetent people to be in these roles of positions. Of you know, power. they they wanted to get somebody, you know, from L.A. to run this place. But, well, they probably did call L.A. and they're like, N- Sunnydale? No, <laughs> I'm not leaving L.A. for Sunnydale. We're going to send you our retired cop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we don't even know. He probably lived in Sunnydale. He was probably just the next choice. True. Giles chuckles at that, mentioning that it does seem to predate any settlements they've heard of before collecting a bit of dirt clinging to the stone. As he does, his scrapings reveal a slit as in a like a door or a lid. He asked the other if they've tried opening it. Opening no! it? <laughs> Giles, no! <laughs> he comes around to look where Giles is looking. Well, he'll be damned! He also, this drove me crazy. That slit is fucking huge. And this man had no idea it was there <laughs> until Giles was like, I have eyeballs. I can see this. <laughs> I, like that. I have eyeballs. Well, you would have you would have expected that somebody who knew what they were doing would have been like, oh, look at this crease here. 
Yeah, yeah. This man had no idea. He was like, which, this giant crease is a, is a new surprise to me. Which which is why, like, I like the idea that he is just a former New York police officer yes. who retired to Sunnydale and somehow failed up into he this new career. He wanted to come and be in the warm weather, couldn't find a job in one of the bigger cities. And he's like, I'll go to Sunnydale and it'll be, I'll just have a chill, nice job. And you think, you think that running a natural history museum would be an easy job. But apparently he didn't know Sunnydale. Nope. But he could also, he, I, I would have been like, so what happened to the previous director? Oh, <laughs> they never asked. They, they, they never ask. Never ask. <laughs> no. Never ask. no. <laughs> Giles asks that they wait on any attempt to open it. At good. least he's had a chance to translate some of the text. Good, good, Giles. <laughs> It may give them a better idea of what lies within. He doesn't want to be surprised. As no. a rule, no. No. All right. The museum guy defers to Giles. He is, after all, the expert. But he's got to admit, he's pretty curious. So is Giles. The Sunnydale High Cafeteria, where Xander is performing a bit of lunchtime theater. I love it. <laughs> I love it, yeah. Using fish sticks to reenact the previous night scenes in the graveyard. It's a production Oz describes as riveting. <laughs> Though he's a little unclear on some of the themes. Also, the animal cracker box in front of Willow and Oz. Yeah. Yes. Yep. I love that touch. Yep. Buffy says the theme is Angel's too much of a coward to take her on face to face. Xander adds that there was also a bit of bi-American, but that kind of got buried. <laughs> and that's the thing about the lines that they write for Xander. They're so good and so quick. Willow then asks if she's ready to fight Angel and Buffy says she wishes people would stop asking her that because yes, she's ready. She's also willing and able. It's the one test she just might pass. Don't say that. She's going to pass every test. Willow will get her through it all if she has to sweat blood. Xander wants to know if she thinks she will. Sweat blood. Because he would like to be elsewhere. Willow tells him it's only metaphorical blood. And Oz says he thinks she would sweat cute blood. <laughs> Willow tells Buffy that at six period, after her computer class, they'll rock this whole studying thing. I, I mean, I know Willow's smart and I know that like she's capable of teaching a computer class, but at any other school, they would be like, we need to hire a temp we or something. Did. We, we can't we, just let the 16-year-old teach computer so class. we did discuss this in... Yeah, we talk about this in Go Fish in because Go Fish. Snyder, Snyder actually comes in and tells her they've had a hard time finding someone. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Probably because school is over in three weeks. So yeah, no, it, it is... They do make sure to state they cannot find another teacher. I had forgotten about that. I yeah, we we and and fish. again we 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 just talked about it last week. So yes, Willow's weird schedule. Like, how is she going to class and teaching? Yeah, <laughs> but then then we said that she probably has some special concessions made because she is smart. She is passing all our classes. Smart people, smart people, and the the like sports people always get special privileges. And then the rest of us are just doing what we have to do. <laughs> She's really got the teaching bug down. Computer class, tutoring. Willow says she loves it. And Cordelia says that's good. It's good to have something like that before she goes out and fails in the real world. <laughs> because then she's not falling back on something. She's stopping her. Xander mentions how 65% of what she just said was kind of a compliment. <laughs> Is that a personal best? This causes Cordelia to ask Xander what he's going to teach when he fails at life. Uh. <laughs> Advanced loser being? He tells her, no, he will teach the language of love. <laughs> I don't know if that's supposed to be a French accent or a Spanish accent. The script just describes it as Euro trash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
He reaches for Cordelia and she tries to bat him away, declaring, he has fish hands. That's so cute. This scene, the scene with the two of them is so cute. Very cute. And also like her dig at him is very half-hearted. It is. It is. Like it's not one of her old taunts that she used to do and it's just one of those i'm used to doing this and i'm gonna keep doing it and of course he realizes that and that's why he's going after her with his fish stick hands (laughs) i know it's it's so adorable but i just i i understand fish sticks were probably the easiest thing to use for theater but i'm like xander doesn't have a problem eating fish right now yeah oh yeah yeah. oh yeah considering he was almost a fish right but whatever. I guess, he, I guess he moved past that fish trauma. He did. He he well, worked through his fish trauma. It, it wasn't it wasn't quite as bad as when he became a hyena. Oh yeah. So yeah, he he's he didn't quite reach the point where I think. Yeah, it would at least be. he didn't become a fish person. He yeah. was just That's almost true. a fish person. Yeah. He was almost a fish person. Yeah, he was a, he was a couple treatments away from being a fish yeah. person. That's when Snyder enters, ordering them to stop it and asking Willow, who's been sitting on Oz's lap the whole time, if there's a chair shortage. A chair shortage? She didn't read anything about... Oh. (laughs) She quickly moves to her own seat. Snyder reminds them that he will not tolerate such public displays of affection in his school. It's not an orgy. It's a classroom. (laughs) Yeah, where they teach lunch. I love that line. (laughs) Because it's true. They're in the cafeteria. Yeah. And I, I love this whole setup. Like this sets up Snyder for one, as one of the like major um, villains of the next season. And yeah. I think it's per- it's a perfect metaphor for high school because there are oh, yeah. certain authority figures where you're like, why? Yeah. Why are you being so extra? Bug up your butt the size of an emu. <laughs> Like certain ones that hated our class. Uh, yeah, we had we had a really terrible uh, physics teacher who, at the end of our freshman year, basically told us we were all horrible. Oh my god! I don't that know. Was hilarious. I, I think I I think my brother in law might be the teacher that everybody hates. Oh. <laughs> Moving his gaze to Buffy, he tells her to just give him a reason to kick her out. Just one. As he walks away, Cordelia comments, and again, one of my absolute favorite lines. Yep. How about because you're an impotent little Nazi with a bug up his butt the size of an emu? And the way she says it, too, is so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Buffy agrees. That about sums it up. So originally, there was a small bit here between Xander and Oz about teaching lunch. Because Xander's <laughs> like, yes, lunch. I could teach that. And Oz is like, mm-hmm, I can see that. And then he starts going on about like... Baloney is not a toy. We put it on the bread. (laughs) And I mean, it it was cute, obviously expendable, but it it was nice to see like Xander and Oz riffing because you you don't get a lot of that. Yeah. Because the two, like, yeah, the two of them, you would think should be able to bounce well off of each other because they do have very quick, dry sense of humor. Willow asks if Buffy wants to come over that night, study at her place. Maybe. She does have to patrol, though. Does she really think Angel will show up? No, she doesn't. But then that's usually when he does. Hugh London, 1860. Making her way across a stone church, Drusilla genuflects, making the sign of the cross before entering a confessional. What she doesn't know, but we as the audience do, is that the priest on the other side is being murdered. (laughs) Presumably by Angelus. Was Drusilla expecting to meet a vampire that day? Nope. Was Angelus expecting to find his new obsession? Probably not. 
But that's what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, this also addresses what we were talking about in Killed by Death, Froggy, because yep. obviously a Catholic hospital would not help you if Angelus is murdering a priest in a church. Exactly. There you go. So, nope, Catholic hospital not going to keep you yeah. any safer. <laughs> yeah. So we know it, it's it's one of those things that it shows us there's no hallowed ground in this. Uh, yeah, yeah, because because you, uh, you don't you don't see a lot. Yeah, because yeah, in this in this the ha- yeah there really are no churches. Because it's, it's so funny because we're going back and forth between Buffy and the Julie Kenner novels, where right, in the Julie where Kenner ground is a thing in the Julie yes, Kenner novels. Like you, yeah. like you, demons can absolutely not go to church and even you see with eric as the demon's taking over more he's finding it more and more difficult to go into the church i think we just wander into church and kill people it's fine. yeah yeah lowering her head covering drusilla asks the father to bless her and says it's been two days since her last confession trying to quietly drop the dead priest <laughs> <laughs> well at least he cares about silence in the church <laughs> and jealous leans a little closer to the window two days that's not very long. Drusilla confesses she's frightened, and Angelus tells her to tell him of her fears. She says she's been seeing things again, that she saw a horrible cave in at the mines. Her mummy told her to say nothing, that her visions were nothing but silly little dreams. But then that morning, there was an accident. Two men died. Her mummy, she tells her she's cursed, that her seeing things is an affront to the Lord. Only he's supposed to see things before it happens. She doesn't mean to, Father. She swears. She tries. She tries to be pure inside. She doesn't want to be an evil thing. You can, you can see it. You can just, you can, you watch this scene and you see it happening in real time. And I love it because you mm-hmm. just, you see Angelus's face as he realizes Drusilla is something he can work with. Yep. Something he can corrupt. And I also like that this confirms that she had visions before mm-hmm. she became a vampire, that the visions aren't some side effect of being a vampire. It's just... Um, it's something that unique that Angel saw in her that he thought I can use. Right. This. And it's it's a it's a chance encounter. Yeah. Right. You know, he just happened to be in there killing a priest. <laughs> as one is. <laughs> as one and as she's coming in for and oh my god, I have to talk for a moment, like the whole <laughs> the whole Catholic guilt thing about it's been two days since my last yes, really. <laughs> well, I think I think Drusilla is probably an extreme case, given that yeah. her mother is constantly telling her she's evil. Right? Yes, I know. It's just, so. it's just. I always love those moments in yeah. in media where it's it's been so long. It's been a week since I confessed, like, <laughs> and I can't remember the last time I went to confession. Nope. <laughs> he tells her to hush now. That the Lord has a plan for all creatures, even a devil child like herself. The devil. <sighs> Aye, she's a product of Satan himself. All the Hail Marys in the world won't save her. Oh, Angelus, fuck off. Leave this poor girl alone. The Lord will use her and then smite her. Drusilla wants to know what she can do. Fulfill his plan. Give in. Be evil. No, she wants to be good, to be pure. Angelus tells her they all do it first, but the world doesn't work that way. Drusilla pleads with him, begs him to help her. Very well then, five our fathers in an act of contrition. Will that work? Relieved, Drusilla says yes and thanks him. Before she goes, Angelus reminds her that God is watching. Sir. 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 Are you referring to yourself as God? Yes, he is. Of course he is. Of course he is. (laughs) We know that that he's going to be watching her. He is too much. (laughs) 
We once again come back to the modern day and the mansion where Drusilla is descending the steps into the garden. Not bothering to look up from his paper, Spike asks if she had a nice walk. She tells him she met an old man, but she didn't like him. He got stuck in her teeth. (laughs) Also, the moon began whispering to her, telling her all sorts of delicious things. That's when Angelus enters, asking what the moon had to say. Spike makes a comment about him finally being awake, and he smacks Spike in the back of the head as he walks past. (laughs) I I can't wait for Spike to like watch him. I know. I know, I know. He's you you can just you can just see him seething as he has to deal with this bullshit. And he's uh, he's probably like just holding on to the arms of that chair like don't get up. Don't get up. Mm-hmm. I have a plan. Don't get up. <sighs> Give me the grant me the serenity. <laughs> <laughs> Going to Drew, he asks what the moon told her. Does she have a vision? Is something coming? Oh yeah, something terrible. Then Drew makes the cutest little like pss, pss, pss. I love. He's so um, cute. I love Juliet. A hand motion that goes with it. I, yeah, I, yeah. No, everything about Juliet's performance is just absolute brilliance. I know. I w- I would have loved to have seen more of Drusilla. Where the museum? It's a tomb with a surprise inside. Amazed, Angela says she can see all that inside her head. No, she read it in the morning paper. <laughs> <laughs> I love Spike that he's like just demystifying all this shit. Oh. He's just like, no. <laughs> Which Spike hands over, taking it, and a bit put out that the drama of the whole thing was ruined. <laughs> and Jealous looks over the article, letting out an oh my. As Drew confirms, that's what's been whispering to her. She makes a shh motion as Spike looks at the two of them, very not amused. And Jealous tells her not to worry, that soon the whispers will stop because soon it will scream. Willow's classroom. Buffy works on some scientific equations before giving up and declaring that it makes no sense. Willow tells her that can't be true and takes the paper before saying, oh, oh, oh no, that doesn't make sense. See, it's senseless. It is, and she knows that, so she's learning. (laughs) Yay her! (laughs) Not that it matters. When in the real world is she ever going to need chemistry or history or math or the English language? Willow says she sees the problem, that she's a moron. Hey, stop that. She's not (laughs) stupid. She's just had a lot on her mind. And she can learn this real easy. But if she's not willing to try, well, then she can stop wasting Willow's time. (laughs) Mylene Buffy looks over at Willow. She is a good teacher. She begins explaining covalent bonds to Buffy as Buffy's pencil rolls off the desk, landing on the floor right next to the disc containing Angel's Curse. Yay! How convenient. She tells Willow to hold that thought as she reaches down to grab the pencil for the moment ignoring the disc. As she readies herself to go back to listening, she is struck with a moment of deja vu. A perfect memory of her pencil falling and hey, she finds the disc handing it to Willow. That made no sense to me. I it I like like just the phrasing of it made yeah. no sense where she's like a memory. I'm like, because that hasn't happened. Yeah, no, it's the phrasing is the phrasing is a little weird, but I do like that moment of Oh no, I love the moment when she finds it. I'm just I think what they were trying to get at is like she could almost see the disc falling. Yeah. But the or thing with the pencil. It. Like yeah, yeah, she could sense something in, in her. Well, I think I think that the pencil just kind of like the pencil falling was something that triggered okay that makes sense was, that yeah. triggered the feeling because the pencil the pencil rolled and fell so you know it, again it's it's one of those things that's just yeah it, it triggered know. a thought yeah yeah and as she leaned over she saw the disc but it didn't really hit her that 
it was important. That's not one of hers. It must have belonged to Miss Calendar. She pops it in the computer as Buffy remarks, this whole thing feels kind of morbid. Willow's gone through most of her files already, so... Buffy wants to know if that makes it less morbid or (laughs) makes her really morbid. (laughs) Willow just gives her a look, explaining how she had to do it to teach her classes. As the program Jenny has been working on fills the screen. The translation loads and Buffy frowns. Does that say restoration? Willow says it must be one of her spells. Jenny wasn't a practicing witch, but she... Buffy calls her attention back to the screen and Willow, like Buffy, realizes what they're looking at. (laughs) Oh boy. It's the only phrase Willow can muster. And she says it about three more times just as Buffy (laughs) stares. Yeah, I like that. Stares at the one thing that could bring Angel back. Side note, because I don't think there's a good place to talk about it later... If you can find the grimoire that goes with the show and it's supposed to be written by Willow, this is the first spell in it, obviously. Uh, yeah. Um, all the characters have notes on the side and Spike drew a picture of Angel <laughs> and wrote his own translation of the spell that's basically asking the mopey gods to re-steal his poofiness. <laughs> We were talking about that before we started recording. It's, it's, it's my great. new favorite thing. So if, if y'all can find it, just a little picture of age. I love it. I love it so Aww. much. <laughs> Romania, 1898. The people of the village work at preparing their most beloved daughter for death. There's chanting and incense covering her with flowers. And off to the side, one of the elders chant over an orb of Thessala. All the while, someone or something runs through the woods headed towards them. It's revealed to be Angelus, who stumbles into the camp right as his soul is being restored, both his eyes and the orb glowing white. A man approaches him and tells him it hurts. Yes, it will hurt more in a moment. Angel doesn't understand what's going on. Where is he? He doesn't remember? He will. Soon the faces of all he's killed for the past hundred years will come rushing back to him. Killed? No, no. Back in the present and in the library... Buffy and Willow present Giles with what they found. Willow tells him it looks like Miss Calendar was trying to replicate the original curse to restore Angel's soul again. She said it couldn't be done. Looks like she tried anyway, and then it worked. So he killed her. From his place at the table, Xander joins the conversation. He killed her before she could tell anyone about it. What a prince. Cordelia says this is good, right? They can curse him again. It certainly points that way, but something like this, it requires an understanding of the black arts past his caliber. Again, I say liar, Giles. Liar, Giles. We 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 know that you were involved. You know everything about the black arts. <laughs> you tried to like bring a demon into the world. I think he's just afraid of enjoying it too much and heading back down the road that leads to his ex-boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> oh. We like and even they know the shit that he did. Yeah. I think, I, I mean, I, I'm going to chalk some of this up to Giles being politely hesitant about anything to do with Angel. Yes, yes, um, yes. Which I, like, throughout this whole scene, you just feel so much for Giles mm-hmm. because, yep. you, you know, you have Xander getting getting mad almost on Giles's behalf mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that they would do anything other than kill Angel. Exactly. And... And I just, it just shows how much Giles loves Buffy that he's not just saying, no, let's just kill this guy. I mean, he killed the woman I love. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it only gets worse from here because you have what happens to Giles in the next episode. Yep. yep. And then you have the whole conversation they have when Angel returns in season three and Giles has to bring up that he tortured me for pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and when and the scene and you know again in the in the next season when Angel shows up at Giles's place yeah you know yeah. and you just and again such good acting from Anthony and just how much pain he was put through so it's a good thing Willow says that she's been looking into Miss Calendar's stuff researching the black arts for fun well <laughs> educational fun I love I mean I do love these little like 
tidbits we get of eventually we're mm-hmm. going to have Bad Willow in season six. So um, it's nice. And, and then, you know, we have Witchy Willow and everything. So it's it's nice to see these little tidbits come up. She thinks she can do it. He tells her that channeling such potent magic through herself, it might open a door that she might be able to close. See? See, see right there. That's why Giles yep. doesn't want to do the spell. Yep. Because opening door. Yep. Nope. Yep. Yep. Buffy agrees. She doesn't want Willow putting herself in any danger. And Willow doesn't want danger. Really. But she might be the best person to do this. That's when Xander sa- stands. Letting those of you who had Mike just tuned in that everyone here is a crazy person. <laughs> I use that line a lot too. Mm-hmm. So the spell might restore Angel's humanity. That's great. But who cares? Buffy says she cares. Is that right? Seeing the fight about to break out, Giles does the dad thing and intervenes, telling everyone not to lose their perspective. It doesn't work though, because Xander, Xander feels he has the perspective. Angel's a killer. Willow goes to stop him as Buffy says it's not that simple, but he won't be silenced. What? All is forgiven? Cordelia says he has a point. And as he was not expecting that, he starts to say something about wishing she would support him before realizing she wasn't saying that now that he's embarrassed, he's going to go back to making his point, which is that Angel needs to die. Giles points out that curing Angel seemed to be Jenny's last wish. Yeah, well, Jenny's dead. Now Giles is in it, going after Xander as the two of them begin to yell at one another and the stage directions here say Giles looks like he might just hit Xander. Buffy screams at them to both stop before going to stand a few paces away. Willow asks her what she wants to do and she says she doesn't know. What happened to Angel wasn't his fault. Yeah, Xander adds, but what happened to Miss Calendar is... He tells her she can't paint it any way she wants, but the way he sees it, she wants to forget all about Miss Calendar's murder so she can get her boyfriend back. Mm. At that, Buffy leads the library while Willow stares at Xander in disbelief. All right, I'm going to say it. It's an unpopular opinion, but I'm going to say it. I don't blame Xander. I I don't. I see both. I see both sides, both sides of the situation. Yeah, I understand why Xander never liked Angel to begin with. And I understand like his point of view, which is like, how do you come back from doing all these terrible things? I mean, even if they restore Angel's soul, Angel and everyone around him are going to know that he did these terrible things. But then I see the other side as well, which is like, you know, Willow saying it, He's on some level not responsible because he didn't have he's like a inhabited by a demon. The way that I the way that I kind of see it is sort of the Bucky Winter Soldier. Yeah, I see that. I see that. Because it's two different Angel and Angelus are almost two different people inhabiting the same body. Because you see you see Angel regretting everything that he did when he got his soul back. Right. So I, I do see, and again, I do see Xander's point of view where how do you come back from that, but also not completely blaming, like, we don't have to, like, we don't have to welcome Angel back into our lives with open arms, but we should try to get him back, try to restore him to who we knew him as. And yes. this kind of, I mean, th- this fight that happens in this episode is something that's like essentially the through line for Angel, which is which is can a person be redeemed and how do you go mm-hmm. about redeeming yourself? And it takes work. And that's a lot of what Angel does after he gets his soul back. He spends time trying to and and then when he when he moves to L.A. and opens up the agency, really going to work to help people. 
So it is it is a very complex issue and there are definitely the two sides to it. Like I said, I I very much feel Xander's side. I I think I know myself enough to know that like if I was part of this Fen group, I would probably be with Aunt Xander and the like, well, how do we know that the next time you make out with him, he's not gonna try to murder me? Well, I think now that we know I think now that Buffy knows that this is something like if Buffy would have known that it would have happened, she would have made different decisions. But I, right. now that she, but the but the issue here is much more complicated than that. Like one decision, like yes, that was the catalyst this time. The fact that, and I mean, we have all next season to talk about this. But the fact that they continue to date romantically after knowing that she can bring him that level of happiness is a level of irresponsibility. Again, this is also <laughs> this is also this is also on the ridiculousness of this spell of the premise oh, yes. of the spell yes. like will it there should have been a way to like change the spell but i also understand that this argument is very hard to take the feelings out of because we're gonna see this argument again yep right and but it's not gonna be about angel mm-hmm. we're gonna see this argument about anya yep. in season seven yep. and at that point buffy's gonna be the one saying look she killed these people she's gotta go right and xander's gonna be the one saying well no so it it it's it's never easy to take your exactly. feelings out of a conversation yeah. like this. Yep. But I I do I I, I do I do get Xander's hesitation and I miss oh, Miss yeah. Calendar I'm not too. Saying, so. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying that Xander's wrong. Oh no, he's not. His, he's not. And I you know again, it's such a very complicated situation. Yeah. You know, you want everything wanna... is shades of gray. There's yeah. no black and white here. Yeah. In the museum, our friend from earlier, the retired cop. <laughs> sits at his desk going over some papers. Hearing something, he calls out, hello, as he gets up and starts walking around. Moving to the tomb, he begins to wonder if what he's hearing isn't inside it. He reaches out, places his hand upon it, and that's when Drusilla strikes, grabbing him from behind and sinking her fangs into his neck. She feeds, and Angelus tells the minion that he'll take the tomb to go. <laughs> as they go to grab the tomb, Angelus calls out for Drew. She looks up, and he tells her to save him some. Buffy's room. She readies for patrol as she talks to Willow on the phone, loading up her bag with snakes and holy water, some crosses. I love how uh, it's a, just like a big old 90s phone. Oh, yeah. Yes! <laughs> She's got that big old 90s portable phone. Oh, it's... Everything, like, everything about this series, again, like I've said before, some things you can see are timeless. Oh, yeah. But as soon as you see the technology... You know, the lack the lack of cell phones is a very big is, you know, is a very big indicator. But whenever you look at and and like we had like I said in um the the one up the episode with uh with Ethan, which the title is escaping my brain, when Jenny knocks him out when the you know, possessed Jenny knocks him out with the mm-hmm. big hefty she says she'll do a quick sweep and then she'll stop by. We don't hear Willow's side of the conversation, but we can assume that she mentions what happened earlier as Buffy says, yeah, Xander was kind of being a... She pauses again before Willow. Where did she learn that word? <laughs> <laughs> Moving to I bet her- she was going to call... I bet she was going to call... She was calling him a dick or something. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Moving to her vanity, she pulls open the drawer to grab more steaks, telling Willow she hasn't decided what she wants to do before noticing the clotter ring she shoved in there. She picks it up, holding it quiet for a moment before telling Willow that she'll see her in a bit. So there was a scene cut from here where Buffy runs into Joyce while leaving and some of the crosses fall out of her bag. (laughs) And Joyce just kind of looks at her and she explains that she's recently been very into religion. So 
Joyce says that she and Hank are agnostic and that they always wanted Buffy to be able to decide for herself. So if anybody was wondering what Buffy's religious affiliation is, she was raised agnostic. That's cool. But it's also, I also like in that cutscene them acknowledging that she could make her own decision. Yeah. Because that's kind of how I'm raising Owen. Then she's off on patrol, wandering the park in the, her black hoodie. Hearing something, she slowly turns as Kendra jumps out of the bushes. Yay! Yay! Yeah. Buffy tells her that polite people call before they do that. <laughs> Kendra says she just wanted to test her reflexes. How about they test her face punching? Because <laughs> Buffy thinks she will find it much improved. She was on her way to Buffy's house and she saw her walking. She couldn't help herself. Which begs the question, and Buffy doesn't want her to think she isn't glad to see her but what is she doing there no no wait she's got it a very dark power is about to rise in sunnydale yeah that's about it (laughs) does she have any idea what this dark power is oh i know i know it's a big rock yeah (laughs) can't wait to tell my friends they don't have a rock this big they do (laughs) not have a rock this big We get Spike's thoughts on the tomb as he sits in front of it, Angelus and Drusilla slowly approaching. Angelus tells him that he never did learn his history, and uh, you can hear a bit of the accent creeping into his voice mm-hmm. as he says that line. I love how so Angelus seems to know the history, like he knows Big Blue's history, he knows the history of this rock, and it's like, how are you so dumb in other aspects <laughs> when you seem to know obscure demon history? To be to be fair, I know a lot of people who are very smart in certain aspects, but very dim in others. Yeah, Angel, like Angelus's whole life is just researching obscure demon history and the rest of it goes out the window. Yeah. All right, then let's hear it. A cough of the demon came forth to swallow the world. He was killed by a virtuous knight who pierced the demon's heart and killed him before he could draw a breath to complete the act. A Catholic turned to stone and was buried where neither man nor demon would want to look, unless apparently they're putting up low-rent housing. Angelus orders his minions to open the tomb and the front slab falls away to reveal a Kefla inside. A sword stuck in him. Drusilla says he feels her head, but she can't hear anything else. Spike says, let him guess. Someone pulls out the sword, someone worthy. The demon wakes up and wackiness ensues. He'll swallow the world and every living creature on the planet will be taken to hell. <laughs> Approaching Akafla, as Jealous turns to face the others, they're about to make history and... I love that line because, you know, it's we're about to make history is such a, a cliche thing to say mm-hmm. and then they switch it around with that end. One of the things, one of the things that I, that's just... So what are they going to do when every living thing is sucked into hell? That's the problem with Angelus is he doesn't think farther than this. So they, we, you, you kind of get that in the little exchange that is between Spike and Drew that they yeah. cut out. And you're going to get that a little bit with Giles and this next scene where he explains it. Yeah. Right, where everyone else is like, all the humans are like tortured for eternity, but the demons are like running free or whatever. Yeah. yeah so it, it's it's just sucking them into the demon dimension. So Angelus thinks he'll just be, you know, holding Bacchanals for all of eternity. Yeah, it's just, but but like... The other thing is, it's like, so what are you going to eat? Well, this is why Spike is smarter. Yeah, this is why <laughs> yeah. Spike is like, he has not, he he knows that Angel has not thought through all of this. Angel, and, and again, this kind of goes back to who he was as Liam. Mm-hmm. Right. Just not thinking things through. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 
he's like, this sounds like it's going to be really super fun. And it's like, is it though? Because I don't know, because I, I don't know if they ever in the series again, everything runs together. Did they ever discuss like them not eating anything? Because I know like I know that um, Angel will be eating rats and stuff, you know, when he's when he's. Um, yes, because doesn't Angel get like thrown to the bottom of the ocean for a while in yeah, Angel or something? Yeah. So, yeah, I think they do have to address it after that. Yeah, because because in, you know, in, in some some vampire media, they have to eat or right. they get or they die. They die. They get they get sick. They wither away. So they, they still need sustenance. So, yeah, this was not a good plan. Well, it's Back just like the- how in um, an interview with a vampire when uh, Lestat is like, mm-hmm. I think he's like thrown to the bottom of the ocean after the fire and he comes he's back looking, the bayou. He's by the, the bayou, yeah. And he yeah. comes back looking all fucked up. Yeah, because <laughs> like, he's only been eating alligators. So he right. comes yeah. back looking like... He's all desiccated. Like, yeah. yeah. Back in the library, Giles comes out of his office saying he just talked to the museum. The artifact in question is missing and the curator has been murdered. Vampires. And he's sure this was the tomb of Alfalfa. Uh, rest in peace, <laughs> off-duty New York I know. Officer. Who are they going to get to replace him now? They're just going to get they're just going to get the newspaper delivery boy at this point. It's like it doesn't oh, no. really matter. You yes. small child. No. <laughs> Jimmy, poor Jimmy. Oh, Akafla. And yes, the information provided by Kendra's watcher seems conclusive. Joining the group, Willow would like some clarification on the whole sucking the world into hell thing. <laughs> because she's not loving that. Giles explains that the demon realm exists on a plane different than their own. And that with one breath, a Kafla will create a vortex that will pull all living things from our plane into that one. Where any non-demon life will suffer horrible and eternal torment. So that would be the literal kind of sucked into hell. Neat! <laughs> Turning to Willow, Buffy says she should try the spell. Kendra says she's siding with Xander on this one. Oh, Buffy says she'll fight him, kill him if she has to. But if she doesn't get there in time or if she loses, then Willow might be their only hope. No, Willow doesn't want to be their only hope. She crumbles under pressure. They need a different hope. Kendra says they may have one as she pulls a sword from her bag, blessed by the knight that first defeated Akathla. If all else fails, that might work. Intrigued, Giles asks if he can see the sword while asking Willow how close she is to being able to try the ritual. She needs a day. And an orb of Thessala? Whatever that is. Giles explains it's a spirit vault for the undead. He has one. Been using it as a paperweight. I freaking (laughs) love that Giles has so many random artifacts that the orb of Thessala is just a paperweight for him. Yes, I love it. And I love that it ties back to what the guy at the store told Jenny. That he sells them as paperweights. Yeah, yeah. And And that Giles knows what the actual purpose of it is. Yeah, but and the thing is... Like, he knows what the purpose of it is, but it doesn't have a lot of uses. Right. So for right now, it's going to serve a different purpose. Unfortunately, this means Willow won't be able to help Buffy study for her finals. Oh, that's okay. She says she'll just wing it. Besides, if they all get sucked into hell, well, she (laughs) won't have to take them. (laughs) Or maybe she'll be taking them forever. Oh, no. (laughs) Bringing Willow the orb, Giles says that Angelus has a ritual of his own he needs to compete before the sword can be pulled out. With any luck, it'll take him a while. At the mansion, Spike paces a bit like a caged animal until he hears Drew calling his name. Then he's quickly launching himself back in the wheelchair and waiting. (laughs) 
She comes through the makeshift doorway of the chamber he's in and tells him that the fun is about to begin. He immediately follows her out into the main area where someone is being dragged towards the statue. So this is where I wish they had kept the rest of the exchange. Yes. Because it is very clear in the conversation that happens between Spike and Drew here that got cut that Spike doesn't want this. Mm -hmm. He keeps telling Drew that in this world, they can be kings, but they don't know what's going to happen when they get pulled into the next world. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And Drusilla tells him, you know, well, don't worry about it. If whatever happens in the next world, you'll always have me. To which Spike murmurs a quiet, will I? So like that conversation sets up everything that's going to happen in the next episode and beyond. Mm -hmm. But I think they wanted to keep Spike's like turn face move a surprise. Yeah, they they wanted to keep it a surprise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is because his move is very good when he makes it. Well, also because when he has the conversation with Buffy, we're always thinking like, you know, Spike is, um, uh, because he's always one step ahead, you're like, is this truce with Buffy real or is it not Mm -hmm. real? And so it is a surprise when you find out, yeah, it was real. Yeah, all he wants to do, all he wants to do is be with Drew. Yeah. He wants to, he wants to fuck shit up, but not like this. No. Where's the the fun? Because humans are fun to mess with. Approaching poor, hapless sacrifice number one, <laughs> Angela says, yeah, he's a poor, hapless sacrifice number one. Yeah. <laughs> Angela says he will drink, that the blood will wash over him and he will be cleansed. He will be worthy to free a Kathla. He tells the others to bear witness as he ascends, as he becomes. <laughs> but in turning to Vamp face, he drinks. God, he's but so the, dramatic. With the bleep. <laughs> the blood of the victim on his hand, he approaches Akathla, saying everything that he is, everything he's done, it's led him here. Which, I know we're not quite at the end yet, but that is a nice tie into the beginning and the overall thrill of the episode. He moves in ever closer, and we're back in the past. Manhattan, <laughs> 1996. Just a few mere days before Buffy Summers will find out she's the Slayer. People move about, going on, going on with their lives, as Angel, looking pretty much like your stereotypical homeless person and or an extra from rent (laughs) (laughs) which also i mean yeah homeless people yes yes searching through trash cans i'm assuming looking for rats and my notes here just say insert the stock quote about following the trail of rats (laughs) because that's really all i could think of and you know what you're in manhattan so you're gonna find plenty of rats and those are so those are some well-fed rats in manhattan Eventually, he spies one and begins to follow it, stumbling over himself as he dives at another grouping of trash cans. The rat ends up getting away, and the noise draws the attention of Whistler, who tells Angel that he's disgusting. (laughs) And that is a real unforgettable smell he's given off. I love Whistler so much. And this is the thing, it's like this whole scene sets up like Whistler essentially like uh, is the catalyst for making Angel who he is in contemporary times. And then we just forget about him? What the fuck? We we did we haven't forget gotten yeah him. we he don't lives, forget about he him. lives he lives Justice on in our hearts Whistler. Justice, Justice for Whistler <laughs> Justice for Jesse and Justice for Whistler and Justice for um, Merrick uh, Merrick Merrick yes <laughs> and Justice for Joe He's Justice for Joe yes yeah you know what I bet that's who they're gonna get to run the Natural History Museum Joe oh, our, yeah our vampire friend Joe yes yes yes. It's the stench of death. And his look? It says crazy homeless guy. It's not good. Angel (laughs) tells him to get away from him. At which point Whistler asks why? What's he going to do? 
Bite him. Nah, he won't bite him because of his soul. I'm sad, really, vampire with a soul. Angelus asks who Whistler is, and he motions for Angel to join him, suggests they take a walk. There's so much cut from the whole Whistler exchange when I was looking through the, like, script, and it makes me really sad because at one point, he <laughs> yells at someone for staring at them as they're on the street. He's like, <laughs> he's my lover, don't judge. <laughs> And then he says, when he's talking about his name, he says that his name can't be pronounced unless you're a dolphin. Oh my God, I love that. I love that. I mean, I notice in his exchange with Angel, he says, my name is Whistler for now or- Right, yeah. But he, yeah, though apparently there's a line there where he's like, might, you can't pronounce my real name unless you happen to speak dolphin. So now I'm like, wait, are all dolphins demons? <laughs> but I just, well, I, I mean, was, if you, uh, if you, you guys to the galaxy, yeah, that's I mean, what I was just going to yeah. say. Yeah. They're the only survivors of the, of the planet. Um, because they, because they left. <laughs> yeah. Because they left. <laughs> so long. And, and thanks for all the fish. <laughs> As they walk, Whistler scolds him for eating rats, tells him the butcher shop throws out more blood in a day than he can stand. He also stops him from being hit by a car like twice. (laughs) He tells Angel that if he lived in the world a bit more, he'd know that. Angel wants to know who Whistler is, and Whistler wants to know who Angel is. He knows who he is. No, not yet, but he's looking to find out, because he could go either way. Angel tells him he doesn't understand him. No one understands him. That's his curse. He goes to order himself a hot dog from the street vendor, telling Angel that his name is Whistler, or at least it is lately. Watching him eat, Angel says he's not a vampire. (laughs) No, demon. But he's not a bad guy. Not all demons are dedicated to the destruction of all life. And this is true. Like, we we will see this a little Mm -hmm. bit more on Buffy, because vengeance demons really aren't about destroying all life. And and we get demons like Clem, who just want to live their best human life. But we will see this thread carry on a lot more in Angel when we get people like Doyle and Warren. Right. Yeah, I like I like how in the Buffy verse, demons aren't just evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and some of them, like some of them start out evil and start out chaotic, but then they get to the point where like, eh, I'm just going to enjoy life. Mm-hmm. Angel wants to know what Whistler meant by he could go both ways. Simple. He could become an even more useless rodent than he is, or he could become someone, a person, someone to be counted. Angel says he just wants to be left alone. He's been left alone for 90 years, and what a package he is. <laughs> stink guy. God, I, I love, love Whistler. Whistler so much. I know. I know. Whistler's a delight. I would have loved him to show back up on Angel I and know. just the- be like, this is definitely an improvement, but pal. <laughs> Well, also, you know, if he had shown up on Angel, we would have gotten more, hopefully more backstory on Whistler himself. I mean, Mm -hmm. you get a little touch of it here, but it's like there have to have been other people that or vampires or whatever that he helped in some sort of manner. Mm -hmm. And since we finally get to see Whistler, we can mention that Whistler is played by Max Perlick. Another great actor who's been around since forever and whose first real role was as Anderson in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Since then, he's done shows like 21 Jump Street, LA Law, Gilmore Girls, and Charmed. Angel wants to know what Whistler wants from him. He wants him to see something. They'd have to leave now, but he wants him to see. And then tell him what he wants to do. Angel asks, where is it? Which, of course, takes us to Los Angeles and Henry High, which I am 95% sure is also the clock tower from Back to the Future. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it probably is. That that would mean that they shot on the Universal backlot, though. Oh, but oh I don't let, know why yes, Warner yes. Brothers would use the Universal backlot, but sometimes the- they... 
Okay, here. The high school used in Becoming Part One is actually Courthouse Square, a bat lot located at Universal Studios in Hollywood, which is most famous for appearing in the Back to Future trilogy. Yes. Like when I saw the little patch of grass in front and the clock, I was like, this is Mm -hmm. the clock tower. It's the Universal back lot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and (laughs) Gary Murray. Oh, Gary Murray. I miss time traveling, Gary Murray. I just looked up because I was just looking up Henry High in the episode and it has the picture right there of it. Nice. But yeah. since we just mentioned Gary Murray, um, I'm going to mention that we get three sequences here. So we're going to go through these sequences and then we'll talk about how they relate to their movie counterparts. <laughs> a beat up car with a blackout windows pulls up and Angel lowers the window just about the time Buffy and three girls who, given past thing, we can assume are Jennifer Kimball and Nikki come down the front steps. Buffy lamenting that her dad wants her to wear a dress to the dance that she already wore. Why does he hate her? <laughs> One of the girls asks if Tyler's taking her and she kind of rolls her eyes. Where were they when she got over Tyler? He is so of the past. Tyler would have to come crawling on his hands and knees to get her back, which he's supposed to do after practice. So she's going to wait. The others depart and Buffy tells them to call her before taking a seat on the steps. That's when she's approached by Merrick. He needs to speak to her. He's not from Bullock's, is he? Because she meant to pay for that (laughs) lipstick. So Bullock's was apparently an actual department store. It was quite popular in Southern California and parts of the Southwest. I know there were some in Arizona. And there was one located on Wilshire. There was also one located in Pasadena, which when built was the first department store in the country to be located out of a downtown area. However, most Bullocks were closed by 1995, having sold their spaces to Macy's. So unless Buffy thinks someone is hunting her down a year later or so, she didn't take that lipstick from Bullocks. (laughs) But I actually got the answer to this in the script when I was looking through it. In the original script, she does say Macy's. Mm. So I'm guessing they did not get permission to lose the name and so used the closed department store instead. He tells her that there isn't much time, that she must come with him. Her destiny awaits. <laughs> she doesn't have a destiny. She's destiny free, really. He continues telling her that she is the chosen one, that she alone can stop them. Who? The vampires. Huh? <laughs> I, <laughs> I love, love the way Sarah Michelle Gellar acts this. It's so good. But I, I am a little bummed because I... I had liked um, Donald Sutherland from the film. So it's right. It's nothing, no shade on the actor who plays Merrick in the series. It's just, my heart wishes it was Donald Sutherland. Yes. You know? Yeah. This confused look of Buffy moves us straight to a cemetery where she's fighting her first vampire. A bit off, Angel watches from behind a grave as she struggles, crawling on the ground to find where she dropped the stake, missing the heart. When she finally does find the heart, and the vampire explodes into dust. Buffy <laughs> sicks back, terrified, because it's real. It's all real. Joining her, Merrick asks if she sees now. Sees the power. Power Buffy doesn't entirely look like she wants. At her house, Joyce follows her into her bedroom while Angel watches the pair through a window. Joyce wants to know why Buffy didn't call. She didn't realize it was so late. She and Tyler, they were talking. Joyce knew it had something to do with Tyler. That boy is irresponsible. No, 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 it wasn't his fault. She's sorry, really. Joyce tells her that she just worries is all and that dinner's in 10. As she leaves, Buffy moves into the bathroom attached to her room, presumably to clean up a bit. As she stands at the sink, she hears her parents arguing, her dad saying she doesn't want her to see Tyler again, that he feels Joyce is incapable of disciplining her. Listening to them, tears prick at at Buffy's eyes, and outside, Angel is clearly feeling for her. 
As he rejoins Whistler in the tunnel, Whistler tells him that she's going to have it tough, that Slayer. She's just a kid in a world full of big, bad things. Angel says he wants to help her, that he wants to become someone. Whistler looks at him and remarks that she must be prettier than the last Slayer. I love (laughs) that this sentiment will end up being echoed by the Master when the Master and Buffy finally meet. Mm -hmm. There's so many references to other episodes in here. I love it so much. He tells him that it's not going to be easy, that the more he lives in the world, the more he's going to realize how apart from it he is. And it's dangerous work. Right now, he couldn't go three rounds with a fruit fly. Angel says he wants to learn from Whistler. All right. But he doesn't want to dress like him. (laughs) Whistler tells him he's annoying, that he's lucky they need him on their side. All right. (laughs) So sequence one, Buffy meets Merrick. These two scenes do have a very similar feel. In the movie, we know Merrick approaches Buffy in the gym while she stayed behind after practice. Here, he approaches her as she stayed behind to wait for Tyler, who is named Jeffrey in the film. I don't know, because we decided we didn't like the name Jeffrey anymore. Tyler's a good, Tyler's a good late 90s name. It's true. In both situations, she assumes he's there because she's in some sort of trouble. In both situations, she denies being in any trouble. Uh, In the movie, he tells her it's not about destiny, it's about her birthright. And that she must come with him to the graveyard because she is the chosen, the one who can stop the killings. And as we get to have a longer sequence in the movie than we do in the flashback, we do see Buffy argue with him a bit, but... Ultimately, she goes with Merrick and stakes her first vampire, which is season, which is sequence two. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is both less and more chaotic than shown in the movie. <laughs> there seems to be only one vampire here. While in the movie, there were three. Buffy looking horrified or stunned comes at the beginning of of the movie scene as she watches the vampire claws way out of the grave and she gets the st- she gets the what am I trying to say the hang of slain much faster there's no she misses the heart any of that mm-hmm. and I I can see why they made some of these changes to this scene from the film one Buffy's younger because the script does confirm she is 15 in these sequences yes so she's 15 instead of the 17 or 18 she would have been being a senior in the movie and they wanted to present a more vulnerable image of her that they they wanted to present this girl this child mm-hmm. who is struggling because this is supposed to be the catalyst for angel to change when you have when you have um christy swanson in the movie I don't know how old she was in the movie. She had to have been in her 20s. Yeah. So it is more believable of her being able to fight these creatures. But because Sarah was so was the age of, you know, so close to the age of the character and because she did really well with the vulnerability Mm -hmm. in these flashbacks, you can believe her being scared, her being unable to do this the first time yeah and and obviously whistler's trying to show angel someone that angel feels needs his protection and his help Mm -hmm. and and i'm gonna say angel feels needs his protection help because as we're going to see especially at the end of last at the end of the next episode buffy summers does not need anyone but herself oh no she could do this without angel but i don't think angel could become the person he was without buffy and that's kind of why whistler is doing this which yes. also is very odd in Angel's line. And we'll talk about that in a second because I'm like, ooh, putting the sequence in here makes season one Angel look even worse. <laughs> so, but also the, the the fashion of this scene is very much the same. The leggings oh, yes. and the puffiest jacket. I love it. Yeah. And also, also when you, when you think about where they started as season one, they didn't quite know what they were going to be doing. So mm-hmm. season one, no. it does make sense. And, you know, and now from here on in, there is more of a path. And then especially then he gets his own series. 
And then the last sequence in the ba- bathroom, and this is this is actually one of my absolute favorite mm-hmm. sequences in the movie artistically. So I'm I'm kind of sad like they played with this one, but I'm also at the same time glad they used it because her with the bathroom and the mirror and the ribbon and then the whole thing with mm-hmm. Lothos, it's just it's so powerful. And here it's just more about her hearing her parents fight. But I also think that this scene shows the biggest departure from the world of the movie because her parents in the movie could give two shits about where she is. Right. Like the only oh, reason yeah. they ask about yeah. the time is because they're checking her watch. So mm-hmm. this shows that like, yes, she had all this home stuff going on. And yes, Joyce and Hank noticed this stuff even then. And again, Angel's watching her through the window like a creeper. But <laughs> but this does a this does establish that her parents did care about her. Yes. And I think that's a good establishment. I think that's something that needed to happen. But okay. So let's, <laughs> let's talk about inserting I Angel. Love when, I love when I love when Mary goes, but okay. <laughs> let's talk about inserting Angel into the background of the events of the movie and how this makes Angel even a more useless waste of space <laughs> until about season two. I want someone to do a super cut of the film with just like cuts of Angel like moping around in the background. So I have to go, I'll have to go find it. I don't know if it's in my office or if it's in one of the, the boxes in the garage because I have the origin comic which retells mm-hmm. the movie. I want to know, I can't remember if like you do see Angel drawn into it. But okay, I guess you probably do, right? Yes, I, I, it's been so long since I it's, read it. I, I know no it's idea. been a million years. But I wouldn't like. I would love like I like again. I haven't. I haven't read that. But I would love if you know how when somebody is drawn creeping in the back of a of a comic they're very like it's not in focus and there there's no details in the character's <laughs> face but you know who it's supposed to be yeah. like a brooding stick figure in the back. i would love just like a big thing of hair and just you know that it's angel but there's no details in it like the eyes are just beady Okay, so here's the problem I have. Angel sees Buffy, sees her fight that first night and tells Whistler, yes, I want to help this girl. I have to assume they left Los Angeles after that. Because otherwise, the whole thing with Lothos happens and Angel Mm -hmm. just sits there and watches after pledging to help this girl. He proceeds. To be fair... To be fair, Whistler does say he's of no use right now. That's true. So I'm going to assume and that, that I mean, they that's left. that's kind of what he does in season one, too. He's just kind of like sitting back and... But that's my problem. <clears throat> because yeah, we've exactly. now set up that he's like, I will help her. I want to help. And he sits on his ass an entire season. Yeah. And when Buffy faces the master, is like, oh, well, guess she's dead. What happened to the <laughs> pledge? Like, this is a... It's not a good look for Angel. <laughs> <laughs> but only if it doesn't inconvenience me i am just gonna i'm just gonna creep about (laughs) be mysterious and then fuck off when she really needs me like that's basically what it's saying at this point and i'm just like "Mm." taking season one into a and i understand that they wanted to set up that their destinies were intertwined i understand that they wanted to set up that like Buffy is what inspires Angel to be a better person, which does this mean that like if he had never been shown Buffy, he just would have continued to be like, what happens to the prophecy about him being this great? Like 
He just would have continued to be useless if he never saw this pretty girl. Like he's not going to atone <laughs> for his sins for the sake of atoning for his sins. He's going to do it because he saw a pretty girl. Like I think he just needed, I think he needed a kick in the ass. Okay. So, but so Buffy's just have, kick in the ass. But see, this is he where might, also maybe having the Whistler, you know, feature on Angel would have helped because maybe we the yes. Whistler could have said, mm-hmm. I, I was helping you achieve your destiny by bringing you together with this person. And yeah, I do. I do see where like having him in the background of all set events, it might've been better for him to like be seen helping her without her meeting him, you know, yeah. something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it is like they didn't know what to do with him. And then they I'm still mad about the Whistler thing because I think yeah. that could have. No, we definitely. This is, yes, this, is, some threads. this is why Whistler was needed. Yes. yes. But I overall love the inclusion of these sequences because it does answer once and for all because you see this argument pop up on Buffy boards all the time. Was the movie canon? No. Y- yes. I mean, yeah. not as it played out on screen, but clearly the major plot points are canon. of the movie are canon. So yes, yes. Th- this answered that once and for all. I mean, we know that. Yes. It's like she burned down the gym. She, you know. Yes. Yeah, but people still want to argue it. I don't. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would be different if the series hadn't been, like, the, the film was written by the creator and then the series was created by the creator. So, like, having that through thread, it's like he had an idea of what he wanted initially anyway. So, I, I think, yeah, the major plot points are obviously yeah. canon because of that. Yeah. Do you have a note of the actor that plays Merrick? I don't. So who plays Merrick? Yes. So the actor who plays Merrick is Richard Riley, who is a very, very, very prolific actor. I Um, I, I definitely recognized him. One of the things that I know him from is, and because I love this movie so much, is he was in Office Space. Yes. Yep. And he's been in everything he's done he's done episodes of chicago hope he's been in home improvement casino (laughs) deuce bigelow male gigolo uh just episodes of columbo the west wing joe dirt like he's just he's a character actor who has just been in everything and he's just like yeah his face is just one of those that you recognize when you see it and his voice too and that mustache the mustache the the mustache yeah So after all of this, we return to the mansion where Angelus is still making his way towards Acathla, <laughs> saying that he's strayed, that he's been lost, which is very I just pointed. love that they're too. allowed to just like hole up in this mansion outside of town. Right? Like apparently no one ever lives in this mansion. No. Ever. I will say, small spoiler alert, the mansion comes back in the sequel book. Like oh, literally, okay. I guess no one ever lives in this mansion. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense when you learn that the mayor is kind of, you know, in charge of everything. So like, he doesn't care that this isn't being used. But there's no like nobody in town seems to wonder like, what about that mansion at the edge of town? That well, nobody you know what? Cares about? Every, every town has this one house that nobody ever lives in, or somebody lived in and moves out. Like there was one right. in my town that we were pretty sure was haunted because people would move in and move out with only a couple years. And in Buffy, this is, it's the mansion at the edge of town. Yeah. The mayor may also hold it as a demon Airbnb. (laughs) Yes. Demon rentals. 
Akathla redeems him, and with this act, they will be free. He places his hands on the sword. Drusilla smiles. Life begins to admit from the statue, and nothing. Angelus is thrown backwards as Akathla remains dormant, causing Spike to sing that someone wasn't working. <laughs> I love that moment. I love that. <laughs> Angelus is pissed. Saying how there must be something he missed, the incantations, the blood. And true, she's very disappointed, whimpering, dropping Miss Edith. But Spike? Mm. Spike is laughing silently, <laughs> but laughing all the same. She wants to know what they're going to do. They're going to do what they always do in a time of trouble. Turn to an old friend. They'll have their Armageddon, he swears. And because he is very riled up and the most dramatic ever, he picks up a vase and throws it across the wall. Like, oh, okay, dude. Chill, chill. The next day, Buffy sits in class, taking one of her finals. As she does so, a strange feeling comes over her, causing her to glance around. (laughs) That could be because as she and the others are working on this test, a blanketed figure is making their way down the halls of the school. Entering the classroom, she begins speaking. Tonight, sundown, the cemetery. Buffy will go to him. She will go to him or more will die. His hour is at hand. (laughs) Sometime during her speech, she shrugs off the blanket, exposing herself to the sun and allowing herself to burn. This, of course, causes all the students, except for the Scoobies, to flee the classroom. (laughs) Buffy doesn't even move from her seat. Just stares with grim determination. That's the most dramatic ever. You know know she works for Angelus. I know. Angelus is a drama queen. Apparently the stunt woman who played that vampire, I forget her name. She has been set on fire more than like any person in Hollywood. Like that's her thing. She's the person you set on fire. Oh yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's stunt, stunt people who have their niche. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, hey, get her on the phone. We need to set somebody on fire. Exactly. We moved to the library in that evening. Buffy telling Giles that she has to go. They can't risk that the vamp was telling the truth about more dying. Kendra says she'll go with her. No, she needs her to stay behind, just in case. Besides, if Angelus is fighting her, well, then he can't be doing the end of the world ritual thing, and that's good. She asks Willow what she thinks, and when Willow begins to answer, she basically tells her that she doesn't care what she thinks. <laughs> and they don't have time for doubts and or second guesses. If this is going to work, it needs to work now. Okay, if that's the case, then she needs maybe a half an hour once they're all set up. Pulling a book from the stacks and tossing it to Xander, Giles says all she has to do is hold Angelus off. Don't let him close in. If the curse succeeds, she'll know. Cordelia wants to know why she doesn't just wait there and see if it worked. See if Angel phones her. Because she can't risk anyone else dying. Once you know it's a, what's about to come, it just, it makes Buffy's determination all the more tragic. I know. Mm-hmm. I know. She says she needs to go and Giles tells her to be careful. She will. As she begins to leave, Kendra stops her, offering her a steak. Her favorite steak. Just in case the curse doesn't succeed. She's killed many vampires with it. Its name is Mr. Pointy. (laughs) She named her steak. Yes. Buffy says to remind her to get her a stuffed animal. She takes the steak, (laughs) thanking Kendra. I I love that she named her steak Mr. Pointy. I know. I know. I love that Buffy keeps Mr. Pointy. Yes. Kendra tells her to watch her back. And it's also it's also cute, too, because we know that Kendra didn't have a regular childhood. childhood. So the fact that she has something that is special to her and it just happens to be a stake. The cemetery. Buffy enters as the camera sweeps past some graves, one of the names being Hurley. Not terribly important to the plot, but it is the last name of one of our best friends. So hi, G. Hi, G. We love you. As she moves deeper in, Angelus appears from behind a crypt, greeting her with a hello, lover. He wasn't Uh sure she'd come. This whole scene annoys me because Buffy should have known this was a a setup, you know? Yeah. But anyway. After his immolation-agram, how could she refuse? 
shouldn't he be out destroying the world right now, pulling the sword out of Al Franken or whatever? I love that she. <laughs> I love that she's always messing up this name. I love it. I love the running joke of her not being able to do it, mm-hmm. and it just it reminded me more recently. There's a there's a trend on TikTok because I it they pop up on my for you page because I follow a lot of like vampire and book talk things that when people talk about the Twilight novels, they refuse to say like the child's name right. It's oh, just whatever yeah. long R word they can think of, like regurgitation, rutabaga, yeah. Renaissance. <laughs> They just, they refuse. There's a thing too with Benedict Cumberbatch's name. Yes. Yes. And it always the reminds me of Cumberbund. Bandersnatch Cumperdink. <laughs> yeah. It always reminds me, Eddie Izzard has a stand up sketch about Engelbert Humperdink. Yes. And it has this, it has the same energy as yes. that. And Jonas tells her there's time enough and that he wanted to say goodbye first. She's the one thing in this dimension that he will miss. Buffy says, this is a beautiful moment they're having. Can they please fight? And Jonas mm-hmm. didn't come there to fight. No, no. He was hoping they'd get back together. What does she think? Does she think they have a shot? Without waiting for her to answer, he says, all right, they'll fight. It's almost mm-hmm. a twisted parallel version of the scene from Some Assembly Required where they're yes. arguing in the graveyard and Buffy's all like, I didn't come here to fight. And then she remembers that, well, she did yeah. come there to fight. Yeah. Just yeah. fight the vampire. Yes. I, I love it. I don't. I doubt it's intentional, but again... I like it. Yes. Angelus rushes her as the scene switches to the library where Willow is sitting atop a table preparing to try the spell. She tosses out some runes before nodding to Giles, who reads aloud some Latin. Willow adds to it in English as Cordelia walks around them all with incense. I do like that it apparently now takes three people to do with what one old lady did a hundred years ago. (laughs) Hey, that old lady, she was very talented. She was. She was. Yes. She knew she knew what she was doing. We return to Buffy and Angelus for a moment, Buffy fighting him off as she quietly urges Willow to hurry up. And Willow is trying. She really is. Continuing as Kendra paces the door on the lookout for any trouble. Problem is, when trouble arrives, it doesn't immediately come through the front door. It first comes through the back, grabbing Xander and distracting everyone. Then the vamps come strolling through the front. Giles tells the others to get out as Kendra begins attempting to fight them off. Problem is, they are seriously outnumbered. Kendra fights her hardest... But still, Xander's arm gets broken, Willow gets a bookcase pushed onto her, and Giles gets knocked out. Only Cordelia is able Again. to escape. It's been a while since they knocked Giles out. It has been a while. He's he's had a good run. Poor Giles. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Only Cordelia is able to escape, and that's because of Xander. Xander who fights the vamp facing her so she can run. Kendra pushes on, though, and her fight ends up interspersed with Buffy and Angelus's. Eventually, though, Angelus stops. Is it him? Or is her heart just not into it? Maybe he'll just go home and destroy the world. Buffy pulls out the stake. That's not happening. Not if Mr. Pointy has anything to say about it. So why don't they just finish it? The two of them. Angelus laughs. She never learns, does she? Mm -hmm. This was never about her. Realizing what he meant, Buffy takes off running. Angelus' laughter following after. She falls for it every single time. I do like the way... I do like the way... I do like the way that he says that as she's running away that delivery from david is fantastic and i love i love that we get like basically two callbacks in that sentence because again her you and me let's finish this um very reminiscent of the do you ever wonder what would happen Mm -hmm. conversation from when she was Mm -hmm. bad which we're definitely going to see carry over into the next episode and of course the it's a trap. Yeah. Right. <laughs> just, right. oh, when I say this episode is a goddamn piece of art, I mean, this episode is a goddamn piece of art. It's so good. And oh, I hate how good it is because. 
As Buffy continues her run, we go back to the library. Kendra and Xander are still doing their best to stay afloat. Stay alive when Drusilla arrives. She strides in and goes straight for Kendra, who is now surrounded surrounded by three vampires. Clapping her hands, she declares it enough before inviting Kendra to come take her on her own. Kendra does, Drew easily parrying her every blow as Buffy continues to book it towards the school. Eventually, Drew does get the upper hand and grabs hold of Kendra, forcing her back against the desk, holding her in place, a hand on her neck. She tells Kendra to look at her, be in her eyes, be in her Using her words, her gaze, even the movement of her hands, she captures Kendra in her thrall. Once sure the girl's completely under, she lets go, swaying a bit to make sure the slayer is following her movement. Buffy's still on her way, sprinting, (laughs) jumping over branches, doing whatever she can to get there, hoping she'll be in time. But we all know she won't. Drusilla sways with Kendra once, twice, before reaching out and slitting her throat with her neck. The girl goes down and Drew whispers a, Night, night. Making a kissing motion before telling her minions to get what they came for. Giles. They drag him away and Drusilla follows. Buffy's closer now, crossing that lawn and bursting through the school's double doors. But as she enters, everything goes to slow motion. She runs down the hall, the sound of the heart pounding. Buffy and Angel's love theme playing softly, slowly as Whistler's voiceover returns. Bottom line is, even if you see them coming, you're not ready for the big moments. No one asks for their life to change. Not really, but it does. Still in slow-mo, Buffy enters the library, taking in the destruction. She runs to Kendra's side, falling to her knees beside her, taking her hand. As Whistler asks, so what are we? Helpless? Puppets? Nah. The big moments are going to come. You can't help that. It's what you do afterwards that counts. That's when you find out who you are. The slow motion ends as someone unseen enters the library behind Buffy because all we get (laughs) is the sound of a trigger cocking and a man, most likely a cop, yelling, freeze, as Buffy turns surprised. To be continued. I just remember this moment where Buffy starts running in slow-mo and you know she's going to yeah. find Kendra's body being so heartbreaking, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, especially because one of the scariest things for a Slayer is to know that that they could die very early. And so it's, it's her facing something that has already happened to her. I mean, she's already died yeah. once. Um, and, and she, you know, she had made friends with Kendra. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Kendra's Kendra's death doesn't normally bother me, but when I was watching it yesterday, there there was a lot of crying. I don't know, like it was, it, yeah, it, it was hit, it hit hard this time. time. <laughs> Usually, my gross yeah. sobbing is reserved for the end of part two, and it, it's not even the part most people think it is. It's the damn Sarah McLaughlin. Uh, yeah, playing. Oh, and she's yeah. watching her friends from across the street, and then I just nah. Yeah, no, this. I've been in a very, I've been in a very, uh, very bad, like, my brain's bit, but so, like, yeah, this hit me, this, Kendra's death this time really hit me hard. And I just, I love the coat, too. Oh, the coat. Yes. coat. Uh, wait, I've the said, coat I've so said, iconic. and I've said for so long, like, the coats in this series are so good. Mm-hmm. I think I have the red coat in my closet. I love a good, because I love a good coat. I just love a good coat. My husband can tell you that. <laughs> I have so <laughs> many coats. <laughs> I have hoodies. What's funny is, is this is like almost summer in, in Southern California. So she probably didn't need that coat. But the the fact that it's, it's blue, so it's like a somber tone and mm-hmm. the way it moves when she's, when she's running around the corner, it just adds to the drama of that moment that 
we yeah. we know that she's going to find Kendra dead, and this is like a huge turning point. It's just oh, <sighs> everything about this episode is so good. Everything about the next episode is so good. But this episode really does, like we talked about at the beginning. This episode just sets up everywhere we're going from here, mm-hmm. and it does such a beautiful job of doing that. Yep, because when we get to season when we get to season three, you really get to see the fallout from these two episodes. Mm-hmm. And the thing was, unlike Angel, I, I do I feel like the the writing team really did know where they were going with all of the character arcs, mm-hmm. and they really love these characters. So, um, you know, like I said earlier, you see where these char- characters are going in the future. Even Principal Snyder, <gasps> even Principal yeah. Snyder, even Principal Snyder. <laughs> Armin Shimmerman does such a great job with him. Oh, I does. love him in band candy. Uh, yeah, oh, God. Band, I can't wait to leave. I have spent summers you drive like a spaz. And he's like, come I, on, guy. Come on. I I was like, because that was, that was one of the episodes before I came on full time that I knew I wanted to come on for because I just lo- I love it so much. So I can't wait till we get to band candy. Band candy and gingerbread are like much farther down the line in season three than I thought I they were. I know. I when I was doing my rewatch with Mr. Frog, I said the same thing. Like I really thought that they were a lot sooner. Yeah, but we do have some good ones at the beginning of season three. We do have a uh, Dead Man's Party, which, like I said, I'm, I'm probably going to make yes. Callie talk about because extreme Britishness. <laughs> yes. But yes, that's it for this week. Thank you all for listening and make sure to join us next time when we will take on season two, episode 22, Becoming Part Two. That's a lot of twos in a a row. (laughs) And Jackie will be back with us again. Yay. Yay. Until then, check out our various social media channels, all of which will be listed in the show notes. And if you like the show and you want to let us know it, you can subscribe. You can rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. I believe starting this week, Spotify now allows you to rate podcasts. Yep. Uh, Or you can write to us directly at thewatchersdiaries at gmail.com. Bye. Bye. Bye.